0: Hello and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. So today we have the second part of our conversation with Dr. Christine Carter and Dr. Rick Hansen. On this episode, we're going to be exploring the sweet spot, that place where we are productive and powerful while remaining joyful and relaxed. So Christine, could you begin by kind of describing the sweet spot to us in a bit more detail?
1: Sure. So the sweet spot to me, obviously it's an athletic metaphor, but it's mm-hmm. that place where we have our greatest power, but also our greatest ease. And as a project for me, this was about learning to not to always put forth my hardest effort, you know, mm-hmm. but really like my most powerful effort. Right. So I, I am a, Recovering perfectionist, long term overachieving, like you know, I work smart and I work hard, right? Like it was like <laughs> that. Like I just and I was exhausted when I started this sweet spot project. I had a lot of strength, but not a lot of ease. So the the project was about moving from always making such a powerful effort to finding my effortless power.
2: Hmm. That's a beautiful way of putting it. I've never heard anyone say that. Effortless power. Thank you.
1: Yeah, but we all have it, right? We all have the sweet spot of effortless power, especially once we get into adulthood, we have a considerable areas of mastery, right? And things become much more automatic. And when we are relaxed, we tend to be much more powerful, right? We can hit those home runs, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to show people slow motion footage of baseball players, professional players getting on base, getting hits, but hitting outside of the sweet spot mm. on the bat. Because what you see is that the bat will actually bend. And a lot mm-hmm. of times it breaks, right? Or it splinters if they're using a wood, wood bat. You know, you see that, but they still get on base. And that's basically what I was doing when I started this process, right? Like I was I was getting on base. I had, you know, best-selling books and a great career. And I, you know, just everything was... I was on base, but I was so tired. You know, my yeah. bat was breaking all that. I got sick a lot, like not super sick, but just like sick enough that it was... I mean, at one point over 18 months, I was on antibiotics nine times. Oh, wow. And because uh, I just kept... I I just got everything, right? And so then when you look at the slow motion footage of a baseball player hitting within the sweet spot, like we all know that's how you get your home runs, right? It's more Mm -hmm. than getting on base. But what's really fascinating to me as somebody who's not that into sports is is that the bat doesn't move at all, right? Mm -hmm. It, It doesn't bend. It doesn't like, it's just a clean motion. You don't see the wrist go out you don't see the shoulder jar it's just this clean effortless power which of course that power comes from years of practice and mm-hmm. and the mastery that i was talking about but also it's the it's the ease there's no stress there's no resistance
0: yeah absolutely so in that line you write a lot about work life balance and about how you can accomplish more by doing less mm-hmm. What are some of the challenges that people face that tend to kind of pull them out of the sweet spot, either internal or external?
1: Well, this is really obvious, but stress, right? Mm, If if you're stressed or tense or tired, there's not enough ease to be in the sweet spot. Mm. So we overwork. We worry too much about things. We don't take time to slow down and sort of let ourselves really relax. I mean, I think that behind this is this massive cultural mistaken and very limiting belief that we're productive if we're busy all the time, mm, and mm-hmm. that you know the corollary to that is that I, I'm really productive if I'm multitasking, like if I'm not just doing one thing right now, but I'm actually doing two things. Right now. And we, this is a holdover from the first industrial revolution, right? Mm. Like, this is the sense that if I'm really busy and productive, then I have value. You know, this gets back to like why I didn't meditate for years and years, Mm. you know, because busyness is a sign of importance and a sign of significance and of. Value. This came like from the factories, right? When time, it sort of coincided with the alignment of time, right? Time was not synchronized across towns until the railroads, Mm. and then the railroads took people to factories, and they needed to be there on time. And then a person's quote unquote worth was measured by how much they produced during the day, which was easily measured by time time spent at work now that was nearly 200 years ago and it or more and it did not it has no relationship to the way most of us work today i mean yeah. even people who are working on factory floors you know they're managing the the robots for the most mm-hmm. part a lot of them not everybody but mm-hmm. for the most part you know we have a finite amount of time that we can focus and it doesn't work to try and work a 16 hour day we know That the quality of our work declines, the quality of our happiness declines. You can get a lot of hits, but eventually it all deteriorates.
0: Yeah. So I have to imagine that one of the key sources of stress that you alluded to there, stress in our lives, stress with our work, is also supported by the stress that comes from our relationships with other people, potentially. Including, most significantly, key partners in our life, like a spouse or a significant other who's not a spouse. So in that vein, what are some of the most common things that you've seen in relationship between two people that pull them both out of that sweet spot or how one pulls the other out of it?
1: Yeah, I think a couple of things. The first thing is expectations I think that we have a lot of fantasies about our relationships, particularly romantic ones. And, um, but sometimes our relationships with our kids too. But really like, I I think that we bring to our romantic relationships and our marriages a whole set of expectations, which are really better thought of as fantasies about how the relationship is going to be, about how the other person is going to be. And guess what? Reality never measures up to fantasies. So when we're constantly comparing the people that we're with to our fantasies that we probably got from Disney, you know, 40 years ago <laughs> or or whatever, you know, we get them from our culture, the especially the romantic stuff. The other person is going to lose. And then they they know that they're not measuring up and it doesn't feel good to be criticized, to not be good enough, to not feel accepted. So I I think that that is one of the biggest booby traps that in a, a relationship is not seeing that you're comparing somebody to a fantasy.
2: On the other hand, how do you know when it's time to move on? Like, for example, you said very openly that you've gotten a divorce. Mm-hmm. Your ex is a wonderful guy and still you chose to part ways. So what are the things that you've seen that... Maybe helps people to avoid two kinds of pitfalls. One is sticking around too long. The other Mm -hmm. pitfall being jumping too quickly.
1: Yeah. So I think that it's important to sort of define your deal breakers, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where are the things where if the line is crossed, like abuse, is an obvious deal breaker, right? It's absolutely time to move on if somebody if you you have abuse in in a relationship. I think that people have a lot of deal breakers that can be not not quite so extreme, but are still really true to who they are. So knowing what those deal breakers are, and then not expecting somebody to change for you to sort of meet your needs. So in my marriage, my first marriage, it was really clear that we were so different from a personality standpoint. And you know without betraying his confidence like there there were mm-hmm. some deal breakers in there that that it would ha- it would require a fundamental personality change on mm-hmm. one of our parts and that and by personality change i don't mean personal growth i think personal growth is really important mm-hmm. and that we can make great strides in becoming somebody who yells less for example and I think adults change all the time. We really grow, but we change ourselves all the time. We don't change other people ever. Mm. And so when we are in a relationship in which one of your deal breakers is is, is sort of something is off the table and in order to put it back on the table, the other person has to change and you have to change them. It's just not going to work.
2: Why do you say that? I mean... For one, I think you would support the idea of people being assertive in relationships, Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. especially women, given the history of many, many generations. So that itself is an attempt to influence the other, to ask them, for example, to do their fair share of housework or not yell at the kids. So so that part. And then also we do influence others by our own level of functioning. I I agree. So what do you, yeah. So please-
1: you can influence other people, but you can't change them fundamentally, right? I actually do think adults sometimes do change fundamentally, and it looks like our habits can change so radically that our identities will shift, right? Like we, and we, we do this with sort of non personality things all the time. Like, a, you know, you can go from being a couch potato to being an exerciser or whatever. And so I think we can influence. Other people's desires, we can influence their habits, we can influence their behavior, but we can't force a change on somebody Mm -hmm. else.
2: Yeah, deep down, they're autonomous inside the temple of their own mind, as it were. Mm -hmm. Okay, in that sense, that's great. Well, check me on this. So one thing that I've seen a lot is that while on the one hand, there are some cases in which partner A is way too pushy, toward partner B, Mm -hmm. all over partner B, constantly Mm -hmm. finding fault with them, wanting them to change. Okay, that's a real issue. On the other hand, I would have to say in my own experience, both clinically and informally in life, I've seen five or 10 times as many cases in which partner B really has something that they want, but it's hard for them to say it they don't say it in a vulnerable way. They don't say it with dignity and gravity mm-hmm. and traction. They don't stay with it. Mm-hmm. So the real issue, the much more common issue is the under communication of mm-hmm. important needs in relationships. So that's what I've seen at least. So what do you mm-hmm. think about that?
1: I think it's true. I mean, I don't actually have much experience because I'm not a therapist, right? With, with this, but I think that A trick to being in a healthy relationship is not just being able to say who you are and what you want. It's knowing who you are and what you want. And I think a lot of the time, um, we don't communicate well who we are and what we want. Maybe we're too passive, like you're saying, or, or we don't have confidence. I think a lot of what can be behind that... I mean, now I'm just theorizing. I don't really know is that we don't really know, right? For ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. the more we can, I mean, we can't change other people, but we can certainly change ourselves. And a really good first step is to know yourself better, right? Mm -hmm. To figure out what is it that you really want? What are Mm -hmm. you trying to say? And then building the courage to say it, right? To let your partner see you as you really are. See the truth. And then, I mean, that's actually one of the, I think the best things about being in relationship with somebody is when Mm -hmm. you can find something that's super true about yourself and show the other person that thing that's so true and then know that you're still loved.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really lovely. Part of what it feels like you both are sort of speaking to here is a little bit the difference between behavior and underlying temperament. I can communicate mm-hmm. something to somebody else and have it change their behavior, but it may or may not change their kind of underlying deep sense of self, You know, which there might be a fundamental incompatibility about right. inside of your relationship. And I think that what you're sort of speaking to here, Christine, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, is this idea that the surface stuff might not be a deal breaker. You know, Who does the most dishes might not be a deal breaker. Who takes the kids to school might not be a deal breaker. But if there is an underlying imbalance of values or around work Mm -hmm. ethic or around deep temperament, if you just don't think that taking the kids to school is an issue fundamentally while the other one really does, Mm -hmm. that's the sort of thing that can create a non-alignment, which is very difficult to change inside of another person, at least inside of my own experience. yeah.
1: I agree, that's exactly.
0: Yeah, so to kind of slightly shift topic here a little tiny bit, But staying inside of your own experience, you've self-described in your writing, as you were saying earlier, as a recovering perfectionist and (laughs) a people pleaser and all of those good bits and pieces. And a lot of what it takes to stay inside the sweet spot is to stand up for yourself against other people, kind of fundamentally, at least in my view, whether they be cultural forces or expectations or other individuals. Mm -hmm. So what has helped you individually do this?
1: have the courage to sort of be in integrity. I think of it as being in integrity to myself, mm. right? And to and having the courage to tell the truth about who I am all the time, right? This is really really hard for us to do. So the first thing is, you know, as we've already said, knowing who I am, right? Like having a stillness practice was really important for me to be able to slow down enough To feel what I was really feeling, right? Because in the end, I knew who I was. I actually don't think Mm. that this has ever been a particular problem for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I have a very strong personality, but I also was really a people pleaser. And so it's coming back to myself. It was all I ever really needed to do. My tendency, and I think my training, I think I was really raised to consider what other people would think of me first, right? Mm -hmm. I grew up in a household in which I got very consistent feedback about how I was doing. And a lot of times, it was really positive feedback. Almost always, it was really positive feedback. But I became a Mm -hmm. little bit addicted to the praise, right? And it made me really attuned to the external piece of things. And so... Mm -hmm to really live with authenticity and be an integrity to myself, I had to sort of shut that out and at least come to myself first. I still hear and see what other people think of me. I just don't care as much. <laughs> really?
0: Yeah, no. How do you
2: think that fulfilling duties honorably fits into the sweet spot? The reason I'm asking that question is that I was reflecting there about the ways in which, in a sense, you're talking about the challenge of growing up in an other-directed home or living in an other-directed culture, you know that term. And America tends to be culturally very oriented around image and social comparison. And as as Forrest has said, I think really wisely, social media tends to really feed that tendency in horrible ways, as he puts it. We see the highlight reels of everybody else's lives with everything edited out but we know our whole movie by comparison so it right. feels well, we're less than them and so forth. So for a person to become grounded increasingly in the sweet spot means growing inner directedness being living live, walking to the beat of your own internal drummer. Yes. Okay that's true. But then how do we balance that with duty? Honorable yeah. duty to yeah. taking care of young children, or we're in roles, or our partner's dementing father has come to live with us. He's a pain in the neck, but still, it's our duty to hang in there for the next several years. So, how do you how do you see the play of this?
1: Yeah. So, I I think the trick is really well. The important word is honorable, right? Like yeah. what mm-hmm. you said there was. It, it's not just duty; it's honorable duty. Right. And with the word honorable, what? That suggests is that there's personal meaning there. There's mm-hmm. integrity there. Yeah. And so I, you know, yes, your if your father-in-law is coming to live with you and he has Alzheimer's, it's gonna, it's gonna be really, really hard. The point is not for things to be always be easy. Mm. The point is to be in integrity with yourself. Right. And so because you think he's a lovely person. And you find great personal meaning in having the resources to care for him, right? Then that's really an integrity with who you are. It's not going to be pleasant a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But that's okay because the point is to be in integrity. Mm-hmm. Now, if he were an alcoholic and sort of abusive and you, it, it just feels wrong to you and destructive to yourself to have that father-in-law living with you, that's a different story altogether. Then it's you're putting somebody else's needs and desires ahead of your own integrity.
0: Mm. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And I think that's a really good clarification. And to kind of draw the camera back a little bit as we sort of wander towards a close here, what are some of the key suggestions that you would give people for finding and staying in the sweet spot inside of their own lives?
1: Okay, so the first thing is really simple. Don't multitask anymore. Just single Mm. task, right? Like if you want to be in the sweet spot, you need to allow yourself to just relax into whatever you're doing. It's totally enough to just do one thing at a time. Mm. So that's the simple one, single task. Another simple one is to allow yourself some time for stillness. So we've talked about, like, I like to meditate, but you might just stare into space. And that is enough, right? Your brain needs time to focus and it needs time to just be in task negative mode. You know? So just allowing yourself to stare out the window is actually an incredibly productive and healthy thing to do. And it's think of yourself as priming yourself to be in that sweet spot where you can hit a home run, right? Some of it can also just be anything that you do to relax. So that you can bring ease into the places where you have mastery and where you have power. And then the last thing I would say is to not to assume that it's going to be hard, right? Mm -hmm. It's not always going to be hard. Sometimes it will be challenging and you'll have to work really hard for what you want. And that's fun, you know, when it's not fun is when you're doing it all the time. And so allow for the possibility that we do have access to effortless power. And it's, you know, we think of it as like magic, but it happens to us all the time, especially when we're relaxed. So just allow that, even though it goes against what our culture teaches us, allow that as a possibility.
0: Yeah, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. And to finish up here, this has been really wonderful, Christine, and you've given an enormous amount of information and really been very vulnerable throughout, which we very much appreciate. So for one more moment of, of kind of reflection, I suppose, if you could go back in time and tell yourself something when you were a child or a young adult, what would that be?
1: I would give myself permission to not be so perfect, right? To mm-hmm. just relax like the world is not going to fall apart. I am not going to miss an important opportunity, or email, or phone call, or whatever. Just relax. It's okay. I, I would like like to be able to fast forward to the part in my life and show an earlier self that you know, look, you actually reached much greater success <laughs> once you just started to meditate and started to relax and took it easy. And look at how much more fun it is.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's really fantastic. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us here today. And I, I just want to give you a moment here, an opportunity, if you have any current projects that you're working on or anything that you would like to share with the people who are listening.
1: Well, I just turned in another book, which is not going to be out until hey, that's uh, really for exciting. a year from now, but it's called The New Adolescence. So it's a little bit of a follow-up to Raising Happiness, but about how parenting has really changed in the last 10 years and (laughs) how being a teenager is really, really different.
2: That's great. Well, thank
0: you again, Christine. Just really great to be here. Thank you. So thank you again for joining us here today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. So today we had the pleasure
0: of being joined by Dr. Christine Carter. We began the second part of our conversation with her by exploring the sweet spot, that place of effortless power where we can be both productive and relaxed. We discussed work-life balance and Christine's own battles as a recovering perfectionist. We then went on to talk about finding the sweet spot in our relationships with others, particularly in our most important family relationships. We really explored how it's possible for a person to know when a relationship might be worth working on or when it might make sense to let it go. So that's it for today's episode. We'll be linking to Dr. Carter's blog and books in the description of today's episode if you'd like to check them out. Before we go, I'd like to remind you about Rick's monthly meditation program. If you've been listening to this podcast, you probably already know that regular meditation and practice can improve your physical and mental health and help you grow resilience and lasting happiness. But life is busier than ever these days, and it can be challenging to fit regular practice into your daily routine. Rick's program will include a live guided meditation and Q&A each month, meditation downloads, weekly encouragement and inspiration, practical applications for daily life, and lifetime access to all of the recordings. It starts in March, but registration will remain open, and you'll always receive access to any previous content, so you can still sign up right now. We also have a special offer for podcast listeners. If you sign up today, you can save 10% if you enter the coupon code Being Well at checkout. If that sounds of interest to you, you can follow the link in the description of this episode. I hope you love it. We'll be back again next week with a new episode of Being Well. Until next time, thanks for listening.